KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast for Monday, November 15th, 2021. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Sabrina Boyd, Circa, and Brian Seltzer. Now, we do have an entire show planned, and we will be focusing on a pair of bills that just passed in the Pennsylvania Senate that deal with gun laws here in the Commonwealth. But as things go on a news podcast, we have a major breaking news story in the city of Philadelphia that we have to talk about right now. Union leader John Doherty was found guilty of conspiracy and seven counts of honest services fraud. Now, he was found not guilty on two other counts of honest services fraud. Meanwhile, Bobby Heenan was also found guilty of conspiracy and bribery and eight counts of honest services fraud. He was acquitted on three counts of honest services fraud. So that's a lot to take in. The sentencing for this is going to be set for February 22nd and 23rd of 2022. But kind of a somewhat surprising verdict coming down here with city councilman, a sitting city councilman being found guilty on what amounts to a total of 10 federal charges and Doherty getting getting popped for eight of them. That's that's pretty surprising. Yeah, you know, Jay, we were all sitting around here talking right before the verdict was read and saying that this seemed like a kind of case where we all feel like something not quite proper was done, but legally nothing was completely against the law. But apparently the jury disagreed. And it's I think it's a surprise to most people. I can't wait to unpack all of this a little bit later on down the road. But a couple things stand out to me. First is just the notion that here's this brash super confident power broker type figure in John Doherty in the landscape of Philadelphia for the last 30 years can't escape this. He's going to appeal, it sounds like, but he was found guilty on multiple charges. So just seeing this at times defiant, brash figure going face to face with a sentence like this, that's pretty stark and jarring. The other thing is what could this possibly do and will it have any effect on the way politics is done in the city of Philadelphia? I think that after what's next for Johnny Dock and Bobby Heenan, it's could this verdict and what happened here affect the way politics are done or not done in Philly? We've had that discussion where it just seemed rather unseemly that you could be getting a paycheck from a union while being an elected official and there not be some sort of conflict of interest when the two things come about. This jury apparently thought the same thing and voted to convict on a multitude of charges. We're clearly going to have a deeper dive into this entire trial and the verdicts on a later episode of The Rundown. But if you want more information on this, you can check out our coverage, of course, on our website, kywnewsradio.com. Now, we also, of course, are focusing today on the gun laws that were on the docket in Harrisburg with not one but two bills passed the state Senate that could make it actually easier to have a gun. Possibly, Jay. And there's a few ways that you can splice this issue. But it's just so hard for me, guys, us being right here in Center City, in Philadelphia, obviously working for a news operation, we hear it's not just day by day. Sometimes it feels like hour by hour, more incidents of gun violence. And I think even more than a political issue, this is a human issue. It doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Absolutely. And it's not just in the city. We hear about it a lot here in Philadelphia, but it's in the suburbs too. And throughout the state, we're going to hear more about the death of Fantability in Sharon Hill later on this episode. So it's really, it's widespread. It's everywhere across the country. And it's something that we just can't not talk about. 
We're going to be hearing about all that, plus the latest on mask mandates here in the Commonwealth with KW News Radio Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward as he joins us today on the podcast. But first, let's get to the rundown of these Monday headlines. And we unfortunately start today with word out of Lower Marion High School, which around the country is best known as the alma mater of Kobe Bryant. Lower Marion High School's principal, Sean Hughes, died over the weekend in a car accident. Just a just a terrible story. Just tragic. I can't imagine he was so beloved by the community, by the students. How often do you have a principal that every student knows and every student likes? And then this happens out of nowhere. Let's hear a description of the makeshift memorial that's taking place and growing outside of Lower Marion High School out there on the main line. Justin Udo did some coverage for us. There's a makeshift memorial right outside of the front entrance of Lower Marion High School. That memorial has candles with Sean Hughes' initials. It also has flowers, jerseys from players from different sports, and a phrase that says character counts. Students say that was something Hughes preached and he lived by. Dan Wilson graduated from Lower Marion High School in 2016. He says Hughes had a big impact on the student body and was beloved by just about everyone. Super engaging, knew just about every student's name. Not only that, interested in what every student had to offer. As a guy who cared, quite frankly, a guy who cared about everyone. Sabrina, I know your mom's in education, my mom's in education, but I just think back, guys, also, Jay, to my own schooling. I had two principals who come to mind who were just out in front of everything, and I never really knew or understood the direct effect they were having on what was going on in the day-to-day classrooms. I just know that they were the face of the school. They were there to greet you and see you in the morning. And from everything that we're reading about Sean Hughes, it really sounds like he was that type of guy. It's just awful. He sounds like a guy who had an influence on a lot of people's lives. My mother taught for nearly 40 years, and I remember meeting a couple of the principals that she worked under. And they have such a great influence on a student body, especially in high schools where they can set the tone. It sounds like Sean Hughes, he was a leader and more like almost like a father figure to some people there. And it was a much, it's just a tragic, just shocking end to this man's life. All 10 schools in the Lower Marion School District were closed on Monday. And I've been seeing online there's a change.org petition that was started to get one of the buildings, perhaps a school building in Lower Marion, have its name permanently changed to honor the memory and legacy of Sean Hughes, which is pretty cool. And we will, of course, continue to follow this and have more on just the reaction in Lower Marion to the death of Sean Hughes on, of course, our website, kwnewsradio.com. Over in Dilworth Park, which, again, for those of you maybe outside of the Philadelphia area, that's the park that's just outside of Philadelphia City Hall. There's an ice rink that is out there, especially this time of year as we get ready to go toward the Christmas season and they have the Christmas village across the street. Well, that ice rink at Dilworth Park is offering sleds for people with disabilities. I think this is so such a great idea. If you've never been to the Christmas Village there, first of all, go. It is a lovely, just festive holiday, lovely times. Um, and the ice skating rink, you know, is something that kids can go and have fun. But if you are disabled, you can't necessarily ice skate. So this is bringing that opportunity to more people. And it goes beyond even kids who might not have a disability who are just scared of ice skating. I mean, it can be scary with all those people. You don't know how to stop. It's hard sometimes. So they could just get a sled and have their friends or their parents or their family pull them around and still have a good time. This is one of those instances where it's very heartening to hear what the city is doing. I feel like all the time we hear these stories that are somewhat a little bit steeped in the 
hard issues of life. This is great. And our Hadas Kuznis caught up with Sheila Hess, who works with the city. She's actually disabled herself, and they spoke more about the program at Dilworth Park. To know that you can get on the ice must be encouraging to a lot of kids. It is, and, and to their families, like their parents, to know like they can now bring their kids here to experience it. And that's what's a great opportunity to feel that winter magic. It really is a magical experience. It's always good to be able to give that experience to all people. And it's such a really cool scene down there at Dilworth Park, especially this time of year. And for people with disabilities to get out there and be able to enjoy that, that's a really that's really cool for them. Love it. It sounds like there are still some things in the works. These sleds will be available to rent from January 4th through February 28th. So in the really the prime of the winter season, we're going to make this an experience that all kids can have. And just because they have a disability doesn't mean that they have to experience the holidays any differently. One other great moment for the weekend, especially here in the city of Philadelphia, is that the Eagles are coming off a rather dominant win yesterday out in Denver against the Broncos. And the victory included the highlight moment of this is an 82-yard fumble return by cornerback Darius Slay for a touchdown. And head coach Nick Sirianni decided to uh, get a little philosophical about the decision that was made to pick up that loose ball and make a run for it, as Slay did. So we kind of have a city fumble and a country fumble rule. I, I can I can let you in on that. Uh, city fumble is if there's a lot of bodies around, get on it. If it's a country fumble and there's not a lot of bodies around, if you're in, uh, help me out here, Westchester, right? Then you can then you can scoop and score. If you're in downtown Philly, you got to get on the ball. These are the kinds of sports metaphors I need to visualize. Okay, yeah, country fumble. It's more spread out. City fumble. You got lots of people around you. That's those packs of the on the field where I can't see what's going on at all. I get it. I start thinking of my football coach when I play because I have returned. I returned to fumble for a touchdown when I played football in high school. How long? How far do you remember? That was actually it was actually a ninety-one yard fumble return. It was wacky. <laughs> running back comes around the corner. He gets hit. Ball as one of those ball comes flying out, and my hands were so quick. I just caught it, and before I realized it, I'm just running, and I'm running for my <laughs> life down the field, and I'm running so fast that I hear somebody behind me saying, "Don't slow down, kid. Don't slow down, kid." I'm thinking that's my head. It's the referee running behind me saying, don't slow down, kid. Keep running, keep running, don't slow down. I hit the end zone, turn around. Nobody's behind me for 40 yards. I've just completely outrun everybody. And I'm Forrest Gump style. I'm freaked out because I'm thinking I'm wow. going to get killed. I'm 138 pounds at this time. I'm going to get killed. But I always think of what my coach said when, um, when a ball comes out. Similar to that, maybe not using that analogy, his thing is don't be a hero. If there's anybody around, you fall on it. I won't use the exact terminology he used when he told us. When the, when the ball comes out, you fall on it, and that's what you do. But Darius Slay was able to make it happen, and it led to one of the rather interesting quotes and a rather funny moment with Denver's quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, saying, nope, I'm done, in the middle of the run back. But the, the Eagles were able to have – they were able to bring a little bit of a smile to a lot of faces here in the city of Philadelphia yesterday, which I think that's all we could ever ask for. <laughs> no doubt. And I feel like people are feeling good about the Eagles on this Monday. And Sabrina, just for some more context, it was just two weeks ago that the same guy, this head coach, Nick Sirianni, he's 40 years old. It's his first season as the Eagles head coach. He was talking about the Eagles' struggles, and uh, he used another metaphor. He was talking about you have this pot and you have the flour. you got to fertilize it, put the water in. And – Having been in professional sports locker rooms, uh, those are the type of metaphors that maybe work when you're dealing with an elementary school team, <laughs> not a professional sports team where people are making millions, grown men making millions and millions of dollars. So it's just interesting to me that here we have Nick Sirianni. I feel like it's either – he's either going to turn it around and everyone's going to embrace him 
or uh, ultimately may not work out. Probably um, depends on how the Eagles do for the rest of the season. Very yeah. true. <laughs> that flower analogy led to a rather interesting moment at the end of the game last week where after they lose to the Los Angeles Chargers, he's walking off the field and an Eagle fan with a, threw a bouquet of flowers down toward him. And he was none too pleased at this because it was not no, done bad. in a, in a show, show somebody your flowers while they're there fashion. It was a here, here's to your flower analogy and lobbed a, a bouquet of flowers. Right. Out. Seems like a compliment until you know the, <laughs> the backstory. It's actually very trolly. It's the trolliest bouquet of flowers I've ever heard of being thrown at one person. <laughs> so maybe Sirianni now puts on his best Aesop Fables cap. He could have a line of children books instead of the country <laughs> mouse and the city mouse. It's the country fumble and the city fumble. And we will have... All these stories, not just this, but everything you've heard here on these headlines, you can find on our website, kywnewsradio.com. You're listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith with Brian Seltzer and Sabrina Boyd-Circa. And today we're taking a look at a couple of controversial bills about gun laws here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And it's been a minute since we spoke with KYW Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward, and he joins us today for this edition of The Rundown. Jim, good to have you back. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. So, Jim, let's break down these bills that just passed in the Pennsylvania Senate. What are they about and what could they change here? There are two bills uh, that were passed by the the state Senate last week. Similar legislations uh, moved in the House in the past, so it's it's likely they'll pass the House as well. Uh, the one would allow what supporters call constitutional carry. That would remove the requirement in Pennsylvania that you have to have a permit to carry a concealed handgun or to have a loaded gun in your car. Right now, you can carry if you have if you legally own a, a handgun, you can carry it wherever you want, as long as you have it displayed, you know, if you have it in in a a holster on your hip, uh, the rules are different for inside a car. It it needs to be, uh, you know, locked up or or put away and and trunk, those kind of things. It's different in Philadelphia. You need a permit in Philadelphia to carry a a gun on your hip, unlike the rest of the state. Uh, But these bills would, would change that. They would remove that requirement. So basically anyone in Philadelphia who legally owns a gun could carry, it could open carry, uh, their, their handgun. Uh, the other part of this, and, and that last part's kind of a part of the second part is that the other bill, uh, would allow, uh, people or groups, uh, the NRA is the one group that everyone points to, to sue a county, municipality or township or anyone who enacts gun laws, uh, that are more strict than state law. Uh, and then there's, there's lines in there that say, if you sued a municipality uh, and won, then they would have to pay all the court costs. People who are against that, the critics of that say the NRA could just, because they have a lot of money uh, and raise a lot of money, that they could just fire off lawsuits against municipalities uh, and prevent them from, uh, as, as critics say, any common sense gun legislation uh, that the, the state legislature uh, hasn't acted on, then a municipality could get sued by the NRA's bottomless pit of money uh, and and end up you know, having to foot the cost. The taxpayers would have to end up uh, footing the cost. Now, supporters say, well, then, you know, if you don't like there is a, there is a clause in here that says, uh, if you're worried about it, you have 30 days to change it, then just change the law. I think that brings us to the next point here. What was the tone of this debate? Because this is one of those issues just like abortion, unfortunately, just like the pandemic that can become very hostile and split along party lines. What was the tone of the debates like on the Senate floor about this? 
contentious to, to say the least. Everybody's talking gun violence, gun violence, gun violence. The problem is violence. 90% of our male incarcerated individuals do not have a male role model in the home. One of the issues uh, that was brought up by uh, State Senator Anthony Williams, a Democrat who his district straddles Delaware County and Philadelphia, that this, this law changes Philadelphia's law. And, and he's asking, you know, who in Philadelphia, why do people outside of Philadelphia, in some cases, hours outside of Philadelphia, and, you know, some of these counties, if you get up into to north central Pennsylvania and south, the southwest Pennsylvania, you know, they're, they're just completely opposite of Philadelphia. Why do they, why do lawmakers from those areas feel the need to tell Philadelphia uh, what it should do? To pour salt on the wounds of the 500 plus homicide victims in Philadelphia taken by guns is beyond insensitive. It is numbing of the mind. And then, you know, you have Republicans saying, like, look, this is state this is state law. We as a general assembly got together, we talked about this, we passed these laws right here. And these laws say what what the gun laws are, and municipalities are not allowed to do anything more than what we have right here. And then you add in, you know, as you mentioned, guns are, you know, gun rights, the Second Amendment, that's obviously uh, very important to to a lot of people. And there was one argument made that, uh, you know, you can't make any rules or you, there are no uh, restrictions on constitutional amendments, which is not true because there are, because you cannot yell fire in a crowded movie theater and you cannot incite people to violence, which are obvious restrictions on the First Amendment. So you can still have restrictions on amendments, but, that, you know, probably a conversation for a different time. But, but that, yeah, the, it was... It was uh, it was intense. And you mentioned how the debate was split urban, rural. It was the Democratic Republican. Even with all this, what are the chances this thing even gets signed if it gets to Governor Wolf? None. He, he, he will veto it. Uh, judging by the numbers uh, that it, by which it passed the Senate, there's not a there's not a, a veto proof majority there. Um, and, and you mentioned the, the the rural versus city, and you know not only in the city but also Democrats in the suburban area point out that you know you're doing it at, this at a time when gun violence is is off the charts, and and not only in Philadelphia. I mean, it's also in towns you know in, in Allentown and Harrisburg and Erie. There are other larger towns, smaller cities. Uh, obviously Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania where, so it's not just, you know, Philadelphia is obviously the one that everybody thinks of, especially with the way things are going right now, but there are other places uh, around the state affected by this and, and where people are saying we need to do something. The general assembly uh, repeatedly refuses to take it up. So, you know, if these municipalities feel they need to do something, cities, towns, whatever, feel they need to do something. Uh, now they run the risk of, uh, of a suit or, or some other kind of punishment. We unfortunately stick on the theme of guns. You mentioned his name a few minutes ago, State Senator Anthony Williams. He also brought up the case of eight-year-old Fantability, who was killed outside of the uh, high school football game at the end of August. Where did this thing stand currently in the investigation into that killing? Yeah, so also last week, the uh, Delaware County District Attorney's Office filed murder charges against uh, two teenagers uh, for firing the gunshots that led to the shooting. And, and that's an important distinction there to say that it, it, it led to uh, the shooting there. The, there is a, a way that the, that the law kind of works where 
you can be responsible for something based on how things unfold. So the, the Delaware County District Attorney's Office has said with near certainty, which you know is about as, as high as you can get in something like this for, for where they are right now, that it was gunfire from police officers that killed the eight-year-old, that killed Fanta Ability uh, outside the Academy Park football game on, on August 27th. And the police fired their shots after they heard gunshots about a block away. And so now the two teenagers uh, who were at the game got in an argument at the game. One of them had a gun on this, according to the district attorney's office, I should say, these are all allegations. And, you know, this, this still has to go to court, uh, make that clear. They were leaving the game. One had a gun on him. One went to his car and got a gun. Uh, and then they were about a block away and they began firing shots at each other outside this football game. Uh, as the the crowd left or, or accused of firing shots at each other uh, as the crowd was leaving the game. The police officers hear those gunshots turn and open fire, and one of those bullets uh, kills Fanta Ability. Uh, two other people were injured by police fire, and someone was injured by the gunshots that, that the two had exchanged. And those two, uh, 16-year-old Angelo Ford and uh, 18-year-old Hussein Strand, uh, are the two who are charged, and they're now charged with first-degree murder. Again, the argument from the DA's office is that their actions led to actions that killed Fantability. While these charges have been filed, the investigation continues. There is a grand jury seated looking into the actions of the police officers. So this that's not to say it's these two being charged with first-degree murder does not exonerate or take the charges away from anyone else. That's still being investigated, and as to what charges these police officers could face, that's up to a grand jury right now. So they could still face charges. Just because these two are charged doesn't mean that they're the only ones who can be charged. It almost sounds like in a case of, even though they weren't working together, it almost sounds like the case of where an accomplice to a crime ends up getting charged with the crime. But this is the first I've heard of something like this, where even though they weren't the ones who pulled the trigger and killed the young lady, they set the dominoes in motion for that whole thing. That is... That is something that I don't think a lot of people knew you could do. And you mentioned there, that doesn't mean that the cops are absolved of this. That just means that we now have tied up at least one part of this whole situation that led to the shooting. Yeah, and and my understanding, just kind of in casual conversation with some defense attorneys, it, this is very difficult to to prove in court. It's it's so it's it's a challenge. And and this isn't all they're charged with either. I mean, they they fired gunshots outside a crowded football game. So they're going to face, you know, one person was hit, was was hit by gunfire. Um so there are other very serious felony charges that they're facing. Obviously first degree murder, it doesn't get any more serious than that. That's mandatory life in prison. You know, there are, there are other various serious charges that they're facing. So even if they didn't get charged with, with murder here, uh, there are other counts that they could be facing if, if proved in court that, that they're responsible for this. But it is it is a high bar. Now, one other thing last week was also it might as well have been mask week here in Pennsylvania, because every day it seemed like there was something new involving mask mandates, whether it's the Wolf administration or the governor announcing that the statewide school mask mandate is set to end on January 17th. Well, we'll start there first. Was there anything behind the timing of that announcement? That's a great question. And and didn't get an answer to that of what really, why January 17th, just, you know, people pointed out, just seems like an arbitrary date. You know, is it is what, and and never got an explanation uh, from the governor's office or from the Department of Health on, on where that, that date came from. You know, you have right now, kids five to 11 now can get, vaccinated. So you have down to, you know, your typical kindergarten age, uh, now eligible for 
vaccine, but when you factor in, you know, the, the, the three weeks between shots and then the two weeks to, to, for them to, you know, be fully vaccinated and everything, that still is way ahead of January 17th. So no one really, uh, that's a long, a long way of saying, no, we didn't get, get a good answer for, for where January 17th came from. And just a couple of days after he makes this announcement, Commonwealth Court strikes down the state's mask order altogether. But the Wolf administration appeals, so it stays in effect. Where is this headed? What are we looking at an outcome for this thing? Yeah, so you know it, it's in the hands of the Supreme Court now, and there was that was a lot of a lot of dispute over that. You had you know parents who who want this this mask mandate to be to end. You know they they were saying, oh, but it's voided. So if a court voided it, then it must be gone, and, and that's not how it works because the appeal immediately triggers a stay. So it it, it says yes. While Commonwealth Court did throw this out, that decision's on hold. So if the decision's on hold, then this hasn't been voided. So now it has to go before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And if you look at basically how these courts have have worked out, you know there is a a Republican majority uh, on Commonwealth Court, and there is a Democratic majority in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. You know, if you look at past Supreme state Supreme Court rulings, they've generally gone in in the governor's favor. Uh, that's not a guarantee, uh, but it, I guess that that's just a way of me saying that I would not be surprised if the Pennsylvania Supreme Court disagreed with that Commonwealth Court ruling uh, and went in a different direction. Uh, Republicans in the state legislature have asked uh, the the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to deal with this as quickly as possible. Because you know, people want answers. People want to know what's what's going on. And let's not forget, Jay, that even if even if this stands and we get to January seventeenth, all that saying is that uh, you know we did how many podcasts on this over the summer and, and in the fall. All that saying is that these poor school boards, you know, that these school boards now have to go back uh, and, and redo this this whole thing and decide what, where they want to go from here. Uh, you know, the, the difference now, again, the difference now is that that children five to eleven. Have access to vaccines, so that that's that's a big difference than where we were in August because you did have that that elementary age with, with no access to vaccine. But you know they're they're going to have to go through all that again. And, and these meetings, you know, we talked about you know police being called, boards having to adjourn early, you know, people making threats from the podium, uh, boards having to get up and walk out because they they couldn't restore order. So do we end up there? Uh, I, I guess we we'll wait and see. With everything we just ran down from this past week. What are you keeping an eye on as we head into this week, as we're getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving? Well, the uh, there there is a jury in Bucks County that is out right now on two counts of first-degree murder uh, and possible death penalty for a North Philadelphia man who shot and killed uh, two people at a campground outside Quakertown. He was there with his uh, girlfriend's family, and uh, he and his girlfriend got in an argument, and uh, people tried to get him out of there, and... Uh, he got punched and went to his car and then came back and shot and killed two people. He claimed self-defense, and obviously prosecutors with first-degree murder charges disagree with that. Uh, so that jury, keeping an eye on on that jury. And then also uh, the uh, State House uh, is, is in this week, and they're doing some things. We have another election bill, uh, election reform bill, which <laughs> I won't get too far in depth here because I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll have a conversation about that, uh, in, in the future. So, uh, but that's, uh, the debate's going to start on that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be following that. We will be following it and we know we're going to have you back on here, but as always, we appreciate you coming on Jim. How can people check out what you're doing? Uh, Twitter, uh, at Jay Melwert is generally the, the best way to catch me aside from on the radio. 
That's KW Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward, who also keeps an eye on the things happening out in Harrisburg as well. Thank you so much, Jim, for joining us on this edition of The Rundown. Absolutely. Anytime, Jay. Love being here. And The Rundown is a production of KW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm Jay Scott Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith. It's Real Jay Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. And you can hear me every day starting at 3 o'clock on KW News Radio for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. That's on KW News Radio 103.9 FM, 1060 AM, or right here on the Odyssey app, where you can also find The Rundown. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. Again, that's The Rundown PHL. And listen for free on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank you for checking out this Monday edition of The Rundown.